Hello there, welcome to Talent and Growth, the podcast dedicated to talent attraction and talent retention. I'm your host, Paul Church, and I'm extra excited today because I've got the man himself, Greg Savage, here to talk to me. Uh, Greg is just a legend when it comes to all things recruitment. He's somebody who I follow, I listen to, I look to for inspiration. Um, And today we're talking through his 12 crucial tips for recruiters to be successful in 2023. And I've actually added on a little bit of a a reframing on the talent acquisition side. So it's applicable for all of us. Um, It's a great combo with just an absolute legend. So I'll get straight into it. Here's the man himself, Greg. Greg Savage, it is a pleasure to have you back on Talent and Growth. How are we doing this evening for you? How are you doing? Top form, thank you very much. It's a very sunny, quite warm uh, day. I'd say it probably hit 30 degrees in Sydney today, cooling down now. So all very good. How are things with you? Uh, we're about zero degrees here in the UK as we, as we, as, we, as I speak. Uh, we just hit another small cold, cold snap. But apart from that, I'm good. I'm good, thank you. And look, I think um, look, a lot of the audience today are going to know who you are. But for the couple who may not, do you mind just giving us a quick introduction to who you are and what you do? Uh, I'm sure there's a few who don't. Uh, actually, I'm going to be in the UK in about three or four weeks. So hopefully warm up a bit by then. But um, yes, I've, um, I'm what you might call, if you want to be generous, a recruiting veteran. Um, it's actually 44 years. I started in recruitment in January 1980. <laughs> and so I've been in recruitment all that time. Never, never left the industry. Quite a lot of different jobs. I, I recruited in Australia in, in search. I, I was then went to London in the 80s and worked for the company that eventually became Hayes. Uh, I worked for them in Australia, became a director at the age of 27. I was accountancy personnel. And then I started my own company, Recruitment Solutions, with two other guys. And that was a uh, roller coaster journey, but ended up on the up where we listed the company on the stock exchange 10 years later. I spent 10 years with Aquint, which is the world's largest digital marketing recruiter, creative and design recruiter. I was their international CEO, which is what Americans tend to call running that part of the business that's outside America. So that was my job. Got to be quite a big job. We had uh, 30 offices, I think it was, in, in, in 16 or 17 countries across Asia and Europe. So that was fascinating. And then I uh, did a management buyout with that group um, and uh, ran Firebrand, which was I was the major shareholder of and sold that about 10 years ago. So you see, that took up 35 years. It wasn't as much of a, 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 a detail as you thought, Paul. But uh, in the last 10 years, I've been acting as an advisor. I'm on the board of 16 recruitment companies now, which is a real privilege because you're on the inside of what smart people are doing. Uh, most of them, of course, are in their 30s and 40s, and they're on a journey to take their businesses forward. And uh, my role is to is to make sure they don't make the same mistakes as me and maybe share some of the things that work. So that's a lot of fun. And, um, you know, also write, I've written a book, and I'm just finishing another one, and um, I do. I have in the past done a lot of public speaking. I don't do that much now, but we'll be in the UK shortly to do a couple of gigs. So I'll talk to you about that later. So that brings me up to speed. Perfect. That brings us to present day. So let's let's just. I'll ask you just about um, the Savage Truth book because you may remember the last podcast. I've, I've moved house now, so it's a bit different. But I did have. I've got it on my bookshelf over there now. It was directly behind me. Great book for me. Uh, one of the most important books anyone in recruitment or beginning recruitment should read. Tell us about the kind of feedback you've had from that and the response you've had from it over the years. You know, um, you don't write a book in recruitment. Uh, you know, to try and make money. <laughs> that, that's for sure. Uh, it wasn't motivated by that, but it has sold 10,000 copies, which I'm really delighted with. And uh, every six months, my, my uh, publisher sends me a report. And I, I love to divide the number of sales by the number of days. And so it, I, the Savage Truth still sells four or five books a day somewhere in the world, which I'm really delighted about. And I do get a lot of feedback. Um, people tell me it's um, reaffirmed their love of recruitment, which I get particularly happy about, that they've learned something, they use it as their um, uh, guidebook. So it's been, it's been really well received, uh, generally speaking. Um, I did have someone say it sounds like a typical baby boomer and someone said that it was self-aggrandizing. Um, uh, so there are, there are critics, <laughs> which is fair enough. But in the most part, um, it's, it's been well received. And I really like that because 
I am fortunate to have been in this industry for so long and to, to have done so many things and to have made so many mistakes and to work with so many brilliant people. And it's great to share that story. It's all documented there. Um, and uh, it seems to have helped. And that was my goal with that book. It was to, you know, it's like I've done a lot of things. I've learned a lot. People ask me a lot of questions. I'm going to write it all down and hopefully it'll help someone. And it seems to have done that. So that uh, that's how it's, got, it's happened. Um, you know, there's a degree in recruitment now. There's actually two in the world. You might be interested. One's in Dublin in the university there, a, a recruitment, a Bachelor of Commerce majoring in recruitment. And the savage truth is required reading. It's a textbook. Never thought that. I, I bet my university lecturers would be aghast to think something I'd written was now a text. And there's a degree in Australia, by the way. Um, so there are two degrees that I'm aware of in the world to become a recruiter, which just shows how much the industry has evolved. That's amazing. That's that's great. I didn't realise that mm. your, your your book's part of a curriculum somewhere. That's fantastic. And I think what what one thing I loved about reading the, the, the Savage Truth book, and obviously you tell us about your new yeah. one in a bit, but the Savage Truth was that in your tenure you've seen so much, and it's so much changes, but so much change stays the same, doesn't it? Well, you know that's that's true. The big trick is, which I don't for a minute pretend I've mastered, to work out which bits you need to evolve. And, um, and which bits you need to hold on to and, and, and treasure. For what it's worth, uh, obviously, you know, I've been around so long that when I, I, I was recruiting 16 years before the internet was invented. Can you believe that? Six years before the fax machine was invented. Now, those things, when they came along, were predicted to smash recruitment agencies. They didn't. You know, LinkedIn came along. Job boards are going to kill us. Who uses a recruitment agency when you could connect with people on this wonderful thing called a job board? Uh, social media, and now, of course, AI and chat, GBT, GPT, etc. And they all do play a part. Um, but, for example, for what it's worth, and my, my new book is actually built on this theme, is that the one part that hasn't been affected by technology is the human influencing skills, the consulting skills, that part of recruitment. And that part of recruitment is now becoming ever increasingly important. And even ChatGBT, um, which you know, we're all trying to get our heads around, um, you've got to remember that, that all that can do is repeat what it has picked up on the internet. And that's very powerful, don't get me wrong. It's incredibly powerful. And it'll affect a lot of things that we write. But it's going to actually dumb down some parts of recruitment and make it less authentic. So the part of recruitment where you're really offering valuable advice based on expertise and insights, that's incredibly valuable. So um, I think that's the magic sort of formula just to work out. And I remember, I know I got a lot of things wrong, but I remember when, when, when social media came along, you know, about 2010, um, I, in my murky way, you know, at that time people were saying, oh, it's ridiculous, it's for teenage girls to put pictures of their breakfast on, you know, it's not a real thing. And I realized it was going to impact us. I didn't know how. So I started blogging and started training our people on LinkedIn. It seems old hat now, but in 2010, uh, we, we actually got on Twitter because a lot of design and, and, and creative people were there. And I realized that, you know, building a brand was important. Now, now that has held me in good stead, right? right, right. I'm going to go to London shortly. I'm going to go talk there. And a lot of people will turn up, not because I'm very good or very clever, because I'm well-known in a niche, which is all about branding. And recruiters, for example, that is something recruiters need to learn. A lot of them have not done that, but you should be excellent on building your online brand, actually. And you also should, once that online brand has converted into a meeting or a phone call or a VC or something, be excellent at the influencing skills. So it's that marriage of art and science that is the actual formula for recruitment. And it's a beautiful thing because it means that you... You know, it's a, it's a highly sophisticated blend. And that's why I laugh um, when I hear people saying recruitment's not rocket science. And even people in recruitment say that. It's a stupid fucking thing to say. Because what it says is, it's, a, it's easy. But if it was that easy, Paul, then why do 80% of people who enter recruitment not last two years? It's very difficult. The thing about recruitment is that it's extremely easy to say and describe. It's very hard to do. So saying it's not rocket science, particularly people in recruitment who say that. I mean, I know people on LinkedIn say it and critics of the industry say it, but they don't know what they're talking about for the most part. But in our industry, we shouldn't say that because it's very complex. And getting the blend of human skills and, and science, which is what recruitment is, is, um, is very hard to master.
I'm sorry, you got me on one of my hobby horses there, so you got the full blast. No, I love it. Well, it ties into the topic today, I think. And I think, um, look, this came about uh, because uh, I, I follow your content and, 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 you know, I'm a big fan of yours. And I, and I saw your 12 crucial tips uh, for recruiters for 2023. Uh, and I've made a career out of taking people's ideas and putting my own spin on them and, and then putting my own stuff out. And that's what I did. I took a, I created a newsletter around those 12 points and angled them directly at TA. And I did that because I think it's an easy, it's an easy angle, uh, reframing because um, so much of what you say is relevant for, for agency and TA. So what I'd like to do today, really, if that's all right, is go through those 12 crucial tips for recruiters. Um, give us a bit of, if you could give us a bit of context on those, I'll give a very short snippet as to how I think that they um, can be taken into account by TA as well. And hopefully by the end of this podcast, everyone's a winner. Does that sound all right? Sounds good. And don't be, uh, don't be ashamed of stealing other people's ideas. You, did, you didn't steal them. You asked me. But I think my brother, I heard him on a stage quoting Picasso, who said, a, a good artist borrows and a great artist steals. So, uh, yeah, that's fine. Um, I, I, I say things now that people go, oh, that was clever. And I know I heard somebody else say it 30 years ago, but I don't let on, you know, because you've got to pretend you've it all up yourself, right? So it's okay. Don't worry. We'll get into them. Good man. I'll have your blessing. Good. Right. Let's go through it. So number one, crucial tip for recruiters, Greg, over to you. Well, this is uh, something that could, could get me going down a, a rabbit hole, but I, uh, it, it stemmed from this whole banal, ridiculous conversation that we've been having for a year and a half about quiet quitting, which is unmitigated bullshit. There was no such trend. That phrase crawled its way out of the slimy swamp that is social media and was picked up by mainstream media and suddenly became a thing. And then you had experts giving speeches on it. They have, since the beginning of time, there have been people who go the extra mile at work and there have been people who do the bare minimum. That is not a new trend. The only way it became a trend was when it became a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? When people were reading about self quiet quitting, who hated their jobs, then pulled back. Or that cohort of people who never do um, as much as they could, who just got justification for it. And I think it's dangerous because I've been through a lot of recessions. I've been through a lot of downturns. And I sat in the mid, you know, I'm not gonna exaggerate. I would say hundreds, without question, hundreds of meetings over those years where decisions to lay people off were made in the recruitment industry. And inevitably, it's those who put in the least effort who were considered marginal and were let go. So it's not about being politically correct and saying you shouldn't work beyond. And I'm not for a minute suggesting you should work more than your allotted hours. I'm not for a minute suggesting you should accept work that's not your job. I'm not suggesting you should burn the midnight oil and trying to uh, appease some slave driving taskmaster. I'm just saying, make yourself indispensable to your company. It has ever been thus. Who do you, you know, if you want to play in the first team rugby, you don't put in a second team effort. Otherwise, that's where you will play. And it's true of life. And it's true. And why would you? Why would you put in a low ball effort on your job when your job plays into your career and your career plays into your life and your happiness. It is the most, it's the worst advice I've heard in 40 years, this quiet quitting. So I am not saying that you uh, allow yourself to be exploited at all. I am saying that if we go into a downturn, a severe one, and we haven't done that yet, we can talk about that in a moment. If we go into a severe downturn, and recruiters get laid off and you won't work on the talent acquisition side. That is happening already across the world. I tell you now that you will be on the wrong list if you've been following the quiet quitting mantra. So smart tactic that was. So I just don't, I just don't think it's intelligent. I don't think it's smart. It's terrible advice. Um, you, you actually, and not only you're not doing it to impress, but you make yourself indispensable. So you, you're good at your job and you make yourself good at your job. So you get the opportunities and you feel high self-esteem. You make yourself, you know, you get those chances to shine. So it's really bad advice. And my tip is, um, you know, always, but especially now, make yourself indispensable. And that means going the extra mile, learning new skills, being brave, um, not trying to shine just to impress some dude or person or boss, whatever, but for your own sake and for your own self-esteem. 
So that, that, that's the first tip. And I, I, I thought I might, you know, get some of the loonies um, haranguing me because of that. But, but I didn't, because I think it's becoming self-evident that that is the case. Yeah, making yourself indispensable to company, uh, yeah, it's so important. I mean, in agency side, when I was in, in 2020, when I was working agency side, unfortunately, the people, we had to let a lot of people go. Unfortunately, those people who were let go were the people who were purely focused on delivery. And actually, we were the, the people who were able to create business and win new business opportunities. They were the ones who were able to, to be kept. Um, I think in TA, um, we see in a time of crisis, TA is some of the first people to be let go in a business because I think there's a perception that all they do, all we do, is uh, is get CVs. If there's no CVs to get, what you're going to do? So I, I, in the newsletter I put out, I said, you know, absolutely great advice. Make yourself indispensable to your company. Make sure there is visibility throughout the business around what you do in TA, around branding, around process, around making sure your hiring managers know how to interview, around benchmarking. So really making making yourself indispensable in that sense, that will see you in good stead when those tough times come, and they always come. That, you know, that's such good advice. I mean, you know, I'm not a talent acquisition side guy. I'm a uh, agency side guy but on the other hand you know they, they work hand in hand it's yin and yang and it it bemuses me it, it 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 horrifies me what i see happening on the talent acquisition side when there's a downturn we saw it in covid right all the ta people got fired and of course those companies have spent the last two years desperately trying to hire them back now they'll let them go it's like this crazy seesaw that goes on and what you actually should be thinking i'm not here to well well lecture <laughs> um the the, uh, the ta side the management side of ta because now is the time if we go into a slowdown that you can really take advantage to acquire great talent the talent you're going to need I and mean, in your business i mean generally the talent you're going to need when the market inevitably picks up again because it always goes in cycles so you need your talent acquisition people it's going to be harder to recruit people because we're getting more people coming onto the market. That doesn't mean to say you're getting more people for the hard to fill jobs because there's an underlying skill shortage generally. So your a good talent acquisition person can make all the difference. And, and think about what happens. And you've, you've been around a long time as well. And you, you know what I'm talking about. Think about what happens in the recruitment industry when there's a recession. The very first group that gets fired, believe it or not, is in the big recruitment companies. Think about them. You know, all those big names that we all know. They fire all those middle managers who are not involved in selling. All those people with jobs like customer service experience and all the rest of it. I'm not saying they're useless jobs, but they're seen as peripheral. They let them go. And then the next group is they let go everyone who's got less than a year's experience. So they do exactly what I'm predicting. They let go the people that they think are dispensable, who are not bringing value in that tough time. Now, I think they make a lot of mistakes for that thinking. And on the talent acquisition side, I think it's counterproductive to think just because we're not hiring lots of people that we don't need our talent acquisition, sowing the seeds and doing the work that's going to give us an advantage when hiring comes back. So I, I agree with you. I think it's, it's very important. Fantastic. Number two. Yeah. So now this is now switching the spotlight from, you know, all of us in who, who are employed, so to speak, to the leadership and remember my, my blog is and mainly at, at, at recruitment agencies and remember further that 80 percent of recruitment agencies in the world have less than 10 staff and 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 they're run by people who are no doubt very nice people typically very good recruiters but often not great people managers and so the message is now it's time to take a people our primary approach so on the one hand i'm recommending people make themselves visible but on the other hand I'm saying hand in glove with that. You need to get closer as a leader, as a manager to your people than ever before. Don't don't make some silly mistake, some 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 arrogant mistake to think because the wheels turning and people have less options that now you can um, do as you wish management wise. And I'm seeing it. I'm seeing I'm seeing, you know, my clients that they, they are recruitment companies. They are saying that employers are now saying four days, five days back in the office, right? Now, that's a whole different discussion, but th that what that actually suggests is now we've got the power again, and that kind of thinking is a mistake because the best people will always have choice. So now is the time to re-recruit your staff. And what I mean by that is, and this is quite an interesting development. The last two years as we come out of COVID, things have come right for the recruitment industry and people are doing well and making a lot of money and all that. 
A lot of my clients have been shocked how some of their long-standing people who toughed it out during COVID have suddenly resigned for no discernible reason. Like, Mary, she's resigning? She's been there nine years. She's part of the furniture. We love her. But unfortunately, they've been spending so much time training and working with their new recruits that they haven't spent enough time with their deeply valued people, haven't showed them that they value. So now is the time, in fact, the time has passed, but better late than never, get really close to people like that, and well, everybody, and, and, and work out what their aspirations are, what training they, they believe they need. It's important to create an environment where people want to work and where they feel they're growing. That's the biggest tip I can give you. You know, coaching and training is retention. When people feel they are developing and learning new skills and getting more successful, they are much less likely to think about changing jobs. It's not a, it's not a uh, solve all, but it's much less likely. So I think, and just remember that even if we're going into a downturn, a good recruiter, in your case, a good talent acquisition person, will still have choice and, and they, will, they will have long memories and they will move. So, so people, have, uh, people are primary, uh, should be the mantra, uh, certainly in recruitment uh, industry that I work in, but I would think on the other side as well. I mean, it, it's so bemusing how a leadership who've just been a, in through a period of 24 months where they could not hire recruiters will now put them on the back burner, treat them poorly, let them go. You, you don't have to be that smart to know that the wheel will turn again and you'll need them soon. Now, I know there's a commercial imperative and people, you've got to, you know, right-size your business, but I, I, I wouldn't cut too deep on the recruitment side because people, you know, people who can attract and hire people are a key part of your, your armory, so to speak. Yeah, I think um, it's a really interesting point. And I think what I saw a lot of is, I think, look, if you want, if you want to be one of those businesses say, well, everyone's got to be in the office all the time, then fine, we, I get it. But, and if you want to be one of those businesses say, yeah, flex for working, that's fine, go with mm. that. But be consistent. Don't go with that power shift and follow where that power's taking you, because that is the most. That's how you lose people. And that's how you lose credibility. And I saw a lot of I saw a lot of that uh, firsthand, and, and and in other businesses that are in my network. Um, for me, I took with the the people of primary approach. I took it actually that the TA person who's on the ground um, can can be and should be involved in retention. What I mean by that is. Um, are they looking at the people in the company and seeing how happy they are and getting some really useful info, uh, which the business leaders can then use to help make sure that, 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 that you know, they, the people are invested in their company moving forward. So it's this TA actually can and should have quite a role in the retention of the people in the business, because we all know it costs a lot more to lose somebody than it does to get someone new. So, um, so I think it was, for me, that was, that was the angle I took on that one. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think you said something there that, that's really important. I actually think in recruitment, it, it, it would be better if people spent more time in the office for a lot of reasons, like training new people, etc. But that wasn't really what I was talking about. What I was talking about what, what you touched on. Don't use the shift in market conditions to now bully people and take advantage of the situation. That's really the point. People are primary. So you're quite right. You can't say, oh, yeah, hey, guys, you know how flexible we were when we needed you? Well, now we're not flexible five days a week in the office. That's just going to smash your credibility, the trust, and they'll leave as soon as they get the chance. So uh, that's really the points I'm making. Don't leverage people just because you can. People are primary in our in our both our businesses that we do. It's all you know. Yes, there's technology, but but technology is is clearly not sufficient on its own. So we need great people. So why would you alienate them at this time? Absolutely, absolutely. Number three. So. Um, I call it brick walling your current clients. Um, look, the thing is, it's a truism of a lot of recruitment agencies that, um, and they, they don't like to hear this. Um, I don't like to hear it because I was guilty of it too. But we do often take our current clients for granted. You know, if I had a dollar for every time I heard a recruiter say, she's my client, she never uses anyone else, they only work with me, you know, that kind of uh, assumptions uh, will bite you. And it was made worse by the frenetic boom after COVID where jobs poured in the door and jobs poured in the door and clients needed us. And if we come up with a candidate, they pay our fee and they wouldn't. Well, that may change. And you might, you know, I often say to people, that's your client. When last did you see her face to face? Oh, I don't need to see her. She gives me all her work. That's it. That exactly is it. You know, because you haven't taken the opportunity to nurture the relationship, to get closer. And when the wheel turns, there's a good chance you'll lose that client. So now's the time 
to work out who your top 25 clients are. In my language, you know, for TA, it's different, I imagine. But you'll, you'll have an angle on that, I'm sure. And say, right, let's get closer to them. What's happening in that company? What more can we do? What, uh, how can we make ourselves more visible, more valuable? What insights can we provide? Have we met everybody? We've dealt with Bob Smith for a year and a half, but he's, he's only one of 12 decision makers there. Why haven't we met them all? We don't need to meet them all, says dumb recruiter. Bob's got all the power. He gives us all the job. Well, it only takes Bob to resign, and it's good night nurse. So, you know, there is a lot of that sort of thinking, and it's actually time to get very close because when the wheel turns, if it does, and it will event, I don't, you know, we can talk about that later, but, and recruiters are, are short of jobs, they will all be hunting your clients. They're not doing it now. Well, they haven't been doing it now because they've been very busy. But when the wheel turns, they will have their boss saying, get on your phone, get out, get business. And if you're not close to your clients, they'll pick up some of that business. So it's a good time to get closer to your good clients. Yeah, I saw it so often. You know, it's, it's always blew my mind. You'd hear people who um, get so much business from one particular client but took it for granted, you know. To, oh, no, they'd be a, they're, always, they're always giving a business. You know, and, and to, I was just thought, you know, the right words in the right time in the right way to the right person can change anything. So if that client of yours is one bad candidate from you, then next thing they know, they get a nice email from a new recruiter who's got this brand new candidate. Um, then guess what? They're going to be tempted. So you've got to be, I think, acting paranoid almost that these, that your clients could always slip away. Um, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? It's, it's so fascinating because what you said is true. Every good recruiter who's been around a while can tell a story about the time they picked up a client by a, a fluke or, or, or winging one candidate in there or meeting him on the bus or at the football match and we got on well and now he's my client. Well, don't you realize that can happen to you in reverse? That's the thing that I don't get, yeah. you know. So, yeah, brick wall those clients, get close to them. You know, very simple, act, you know, practical activities. First of all, go and see them, cup of coffee, go and see mm. them. Second of all, have insights and things to offer them other than just candidates. Third of all, Grow your leverage within the business. As I said before, you might know the one person, but there's four, you know, like if you know the line manager, get to know talent acquisition. Recruiters are sometimes very, very blunt. I know the line manager. I don't need to know TA. Well, there's power shifts in organizations. People come and go. Um, you need to, anyone who's influential, you should go and meet them. So when the day comes that your ally no longer has the power or is left or whatever, you've got five other allies. So um, that's the work that needs to be done. It's proactive. It's looking to the future. It doesn't bring you extra rewards in the short. Like a lot of recruiters, they may not say it, but they'll think, why would I do that? If I stay at my office and get more resumes, I'll make more placements this month. True, maybe. But what about next month, next quarter, next year? That's the thinking we need. Absolutely. And for me, the, the shift of this one was easy for TA. Um, the clients are the stakeholders in the business, you know, those regular hiring managers, because, you know, when the powers that be above are going to be thinking, right, is Paul doing a good job or not? Who are they going to ask? They're going to ask the hiring managers in the business. So, and, and also those hiring managers, it's so important you have good relationships with them so that you can influence them through the process in a positive way. So they, they need to be able to trust you when you say, actually, this salary needs to be more, or actually, you're not going to get this, you're going to get that. If you don't have a good relationship with that stakeholder and present to them, like you say, good market insights and data which they can use and you can use to kind of, you know, maybe hopefully get them way to your line of thinking. Um, it's not going to work. So it's so important to brick wall your stakeholders. I think that's uh, very, very good advice. And I'm quite sure that line managers and senior decision makers in the business will have a view of the recruiters in a corporation, TA, as either sort of transactional clerical administrators or they'll see them as, 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 as valuable stakeholders who have a point of view, a valuable point of view. And that's what, you know, that, that ties into the conversation I had earlier with you about uh, making yourself visible and valuable. And um, you know, what was the phrase we used? I'll go back to my note. I wrote it. Make yourself indispensable. Um, you're not indispensable if all they think you're doing is, is um, collating resumes and sending them through. So that's the attitude we want. Absolutely. Number four. So there, there I've talked about uh, the tip is to reignite dormant client relationships, um, which sounds, look, there is even a phrase used in recruitment agencies. He's a second tier client, they'll say, or a B client. There's a whole lot of different words, but we actually categorize them. Now, the danger there is in the last uh, 12 to 18 months or longer, where the jobs have started pouring in the door and some of the clients have had a lot of hiring, as we've 
discussed. Recruiters have then done their work with three or four of their big clients and, and their fees, you know, the way recruiters are measured, as we know, is their fees have looked great. And so it's, oh, it's hunky-dory, says the management. It's hunky-dory, says the recruiter. I look at all, I've built twice what I've ever done before. But all your eggs are in three or four clients. Something of a mixed metaphor, but you get what I mean. All, all your eggs are in one or two or three or four baskets. And then you've got these second tier clients who you used to do a lot of work with and there's nothing wrong with them, but you've just been putting all your energies into the, into the, into the golden goose. Well, that's incredibly dangerous because when the wheel turns and you want to contact those people, they're almost going to take pleasure in not looking after you. <laughs> you know, I won't say people are that mean, but why would they? So it's time now to reignite those dormant relationships. And you can be quite frank. You can call them up or whatever, contact them and say, hey, we've been out of touch for six months. I'm sorry. That's my fault entirely. I'm ashamed of myself. I'm going to be in North London on Tuesday. Can we have a coffee? Or whatever it is, you know, whatever works for you. I, I favor, you know, I know that, that my ability to influence the outcome of something is going to be, in my case, 100 times better if I'm doing it face-to-face. It's much better on a VC, then it's a phone call, and then way down the list is some email or, de- or text, right? Because you lose all your power, <laughs> all your opportunity to influence. So I, I would say, you know, that's what I'd be doing, reigniting those relationships, getting them back on stream, getting them nice and nourished so that you, you are in some way protected against some of your big clients falling off, which they will do, depending on their market position. Yeah, it's, it's just interesting, a point you made there about um, getting in front of people. And it's funny, we're in, obviously in 2020, we got so used to the video calls. And I was actually like, well, okay, this is quite good. I'm getting in front of more people visually because it's easy to book a video meeting. So maybe this is the way forward. And when, when I had my first actual face-to-face meeting with a client, I came away thinking, oh, my God, that was just so much better they were just bought into me so much more i know they like me more i know they were listening to me more it's just so powerful isn't it look um it's a nuanced issue because you made a great point you can get you can cover much more ground by doing this you know you can't come and visit me in sydney at the drop of a hat and here we are having a good meeting so you can cover more ground geographically time-wise etc so there's not as if it's yin or yang or you know um, binary it's not one or the other but it's absolutely true that if you're having a coffee, a chat in the office, you will find out so much more. Um, you will have so much more impact if you're good in that situation. Um, you will take the relationship so much further. You will win business so much easier. You'll win retained business, different levels of business. So you've got to be smart about it. You're not going to say, I'm going to go and see everybody because, you know, there's only 40 hours in a week and you just can't do that. But where there's um, a lot at stake or a big opportunity, that's smart. The problem is even those recruiters who do that, they only consider a big opportunity to be where the money is now. Um, you know, why would I go and see that client who's given me all the work? They love me. No, no, no. That's the opportunity or the risk. Go and see that person. Freshen that relationship. Dig deeper. Look for, you know, the two big questions you should be asking every client is, you know, what else and who else? What else do I need to, to know? What else can I do to help you? What else do you need from me? Who else do I need to know? Who else would you like to meet? These are just the two basic sales questions that are much more likely to fly and to land and to resonate when you, because you can say to somebody, who else should I meet in the organization? And they roll their eyes, look upwards and say, I don't think anybody, and you know there is somebody, and you say, come on, Bob, who should I know? Yeah, you got to introduce you to the HR person. And, you know, that's what happens in human interaction, right? But it's not going to happen on a bloody telephone call, even though I love the telephone. Uh, certainly not going to happen in email. And it's tougher in, 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 in video, even though that's better than some of the other things. Yeah, 100%. And I took these reigniting dormant client relationships. So I, I took the, the, the framing of uh, the candidate side. So um, reignite those dormant candidate relationships. So look back who, through that list of people you spoke to in the last 12 months who maybe were interested but didn't enter, enter the process. Maybe they didn't have quite the skills 12 months ago for your business, but maybe they do now. Because we know how, things, uh, how quickly people can get up, upskilled. One good project can raise candidates profile a huge amount so you've built the building blocks of that that relationship already so check back in and see if they'd be interested to have a chat with you about their next career move well that's smart advice and actually it plays into my point number six which we haven't got to yet but i'll mention it because you raised it and i've said the same thing on the recruitment side i said go to your ats and and, and presumably if you run a, a, a you know an efficient digital site to your business you would have ranked candidates by some sort of 
um, categorization. And there'll be a whole sea of candidates that you didn't place, but who you still ranked uh, or rated, I should say, as good. And perhaps they came second on the interview process. Perhaps they were on the shortlist, but didn't um, get the job. Um, there's, there's more of those than people you placed by a factor of five. Now, you considered them highly placeable. You built up a good relationship with them. You put them forward to your client. They even had an interview with your client. And now you let them disappear into the ether. And then you've got to re-recruit them in a year's time by running an ad on a job board or whatever it is you try to do. That would be, and it's my point number six, um, reignite that relationship. I'm encouraging my clients now, and they're doing it. They are sitting down and having whole days or chunks of days where everyone in their company calls candidates we lost track of, but we rated good. And the stuff that's coming out of that, right, we're reigniting candidates. Some of them are in senior roles and they're becoming clients. At the very worst, we're giving our brand a massive boost and a, and a huge injection of goodwill equity by doing that. So, you know, we jumped ahead a bit, but it plays into your point on the TA side. You know, it, it, it's, it's really, it's really a, a thought pattern that a candidate is a candidate for life. And we should, we should work with them through their, their career cycle. And I've got recruiter friends, you know, guy who I worked with for many, many years. He's just retired. He's 65. He's a recruiter for 45 years. He, he placed people five or six times in their career, literally. Accounts clerk, assistant accountant, qualified accountant, chief accountant, finance. and now he can walk into any boardroom in Sydney because half the people in there he's placed. Okay, took him four decades, but what a story. He doesn't have to re-recruit people all the time. He's got them on a journey. So, uh, yeah, I wish there was more thinking like that because recruitment is a career and 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 but if it's a career you've got to take a slightly longer term view than your billings this month yeah 100 percent. and and yeah and jump and jumping forward to, to number six i suppose what, what what i took from that on the ta side is how can we um look at what we've got on our ats and turn that into some data and feedback uh, which we can present to our clients. Because, of course, we'll talk about journeys. But the candidate experience journey is incredibly important. So can we look back and, and, and send a survey out, if we haven't already, to every candidate who's been involved in our process in the last two years to see if they had a good time with us, if they felt like it was an inclusive process, to feel like they uh, came out of that process, whether we hired them or not, wanting to know more about our business or wanting to be a part of that. Because we can then take that data and then either give our hiring managers a great big pat on the back and TA, of course, as well, or we can use that data to influence a bit of a change in the business. Which we need to do. Um, it's, it's a constant improvement. And, and you know, there's, I, I used this phrase seesaw before, which is, you know, that piece of equipment in a kid's playground. And it tends to, the metaphor is that in recruitment, we tend to, and it's about to happen now. Now, in COVID, we had no jobs. So it was all about, you know, we fired 60% of the recruiters in the agencies. And it was all about business development and scrapping for every job. Like, candidates got no love at all. They were looking for jobs too, but they couldn't get a recruiter to return their call. Then the wheel turned and there was more jobs. And then it was all about candidates. And suddenly we t start talking again about candidate care and the candidate journey and candidate experience. And we're taking candidates on harbour cruises, literally, in, in Sydney, and trying to seduce them and all that. And now the wheel's turning again and it will be all about clients. And, and, and it's just so short-sighted. We, we should know that, it, that in recruitment it only works when there's two sides to the match. And that is our job is to keep those two sides and and, and even if you take a purely commercial uh hard-assed kind of money angle to it even if that's your view which to my mind would not make you a great recruiter but even if you did do that you should be smart enough to realize that even though there's a shortage of jobs now and candidates are, are, might become more freely available that the, that that pendulum will swing the other way so don't be silly because i remember it and it's true of talent acquisition i mean there's, there's plenty plenty you know i can't speak for the uk although I do go there a lot, but plenty of companies in Australia who during COVID, the way that, when I say companies, I mean hiring organizations, who the way they treated people led to, when the wheel turned, so many candidates saying, I'm not working there. I don't care how good the money is. I'm not working there. I saw how they treated people when times were tough, and that's who they are. And it cost them a lot, those companies that couldn't hire for help, you know, for love nor money. Which they deserve. Absolutely agreed. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And if we we jump back to number five, uh, of course, we were the, the point there was how to uh, hone and refresh your sales approach. Let's talk through that. Well, there is a sad um, fact that um, 
which I think is going to hurt a lot of people, which is um, there are plenty of recruiters. And it's true of England too, you know, the UK, I should say. Uh, I was in London in August last year. I went to go and see a lot of my clients. I spoke at a conference. Uh, well, I did a talk for the REC and there were about 100, 250 recruitment owners there. So I spoke to a lot of people. And it is true that there are a lot of recruiters who've got, say, two years experience in recruitment who came into our industry just at the time as it was taking off, as COVID sort of, when I say COVID waned, I mean, not the actual disease, but the impact of lockdowns. Um, when that sort of went away and, and, and things came back, jobs poured in and they were trained very well on transacting those jobs and they became very good at it. And then their numbers on the board look really good. But the truth of the matter is those jobs came because of the brand of the organization or because their managers and leaders were fronting those clients and they build a lot, but they actually don't. There are thousands of recruiters around the world today who consider themselves to be experienced, who have never done a client meeting in their lives. I tell you right now, they've never done a client meeting because jobs have been emailed in or brought in by somebody else. Now, when, when that shifts, they will not have any relationships, any skills to, to, to be able to engage in that way. And so when I say refresh your sales approach, I mean those hardcore experienced recruiters need to go back to reminding themselves how to make an outreach call, how to sell their service, how to sell their differentiators. Why would I use Greg rather than Paul's recruitment company? What have you got to offer, Greg? Oh, I'm a really good recruiter. I've been in the industry 10 years. That's meaningless. You have to, you have to be able to differentiate. You have to have to sell your differentiators in a way that's meaningful to the customer, the customer being client or candidate. What's in it for them? I've been in the industry 10 years, and that means I know how to judge a good UX designer. I've got networks of people that I can bring to the table. Those are differentiators. Now, if you sat down a lot of recruiters today and said, why would a client use you? They would have nothing to say or something bland to say. It can't sell. They couldn't conduct a client meeting. They wouldn't know what questions to ask. They wouldn't know how to close. They wouldn't know how to defend their fees and negotiate their fees. So that's when I say refresh your sales approach. Let's just get brushed up on all those competencies. Um, it would, you know, really, really assist you as, as and I don't actually, you know, right now, We've had a fall off in jobs across the world. I did a webinar last week with Job Adder, which is an ATS. They, um, they, they, they did a survey of their thousands and thousands of clients who were recruitment companies and talent acquisition. And job orders coming in across the world have dropped in Australia, New Zealand, and the UK and other places. They're the ones I was focusing on. They have dropped. There's less jobs around. Now, that is just means it's gone from a boom to just good. It's not bad. But we don't know what's going to happen in the next six to 12 months. You know, in the UK, there's a lot of underlying... You know, the thing that's protecting the UK, and I can't speak with confidence about your political situation or anything else, really, but um, you have an underlying skill shortage that is systemic, right? Um, so that means that there's a shortage of good people, and that's protecting the recruitment industry a bit, because all the other factors, wars, very unstable political situation, you know, three or four prime ministers in a few months. Um, we don't even talk about Brexit anymore, but that's made a huge difference to skills, etc. cetera. Um, cost of living. Interest rates, we've got all those things here too. All of those things point to an impending recession, but it hasn't actually happened. But if it does happen, and you don't have a um, sophisticated sales approach, you will be in a lot of trouble, Paul. So that's that's why I included that. Yeah, 100% makes sense. And I think from the... From the from the TA point of view, I positioned it uh, for myself um, really as, as your sales approach to candidates. So paying attention to the data and what candidates actually want. Because a couple of years ago, candidates might have been really interested to go and work at a tech startup. I'll tell you what now, they're not going to be buying a hand off to do that now because they think, God, I want some job security. So really understanding what candidates want in the market. There's so much great data out there, like uh, hire, do some great stuff. Um, you know, uh, Workable, put some great surveys out there. So pay attention to that. Look at what, what are the top benefits uh, candidates are looking for? Um, what, what, are the, what are the types of businesses they're looking to join? What, what's going to be the levers to pull? So you need to make sure you're pulling the right one. So I think, and that evolves each year because the world's changing so much, don't you think? Yeah, look, I think that's, that's wonderful advice. And I think... Um, if I could put talent acquisition hat on, I think, you know, the underlying ethos of everyone in talent acquisition should be the understanding that they are selling as much as assessing, right? They're assessing mm -hmm. candidates, but they are selling. They are selling their employer. They are selling their brand. They're selling the opportunity. Um, and that never goes away with the best candidates. 
and, and you've also got to, as you touched on, be very in tune with the nuance of how the market's changing. Your example of tech startups, but also, you know, as we came out of COVID, money was very important for people. Like there was a feeling if I move jobs, I could get a 15% increase or something. And it's always important, but maybe now security is up the ladder. And maybe, um, you know, real flexibility in a company that supports it properly. I, I've seen some research that shows remote jobs, the advertising of remote jobs has dropped dramatically. The, the pendulum's swinging. So, but, but there is a resistance from the from employees who don't want to go back to five days in the office or whatever it might be. So it's, it's a very nuanced, volatile, um, fast-changing situation. And a good talent acquisition person will be nimble and will be understanding that and will be asking questions and will be learning to sell. Uh, uh, so completely, so that, you know, a talent acquisition person has really got, to my mind, two, two main stakeholders. They're internal hiring managers and candidates, obviously. And um, they need to be selling. And when I use the word selling, I mean it in, in the positive sense of the word. I mean, I, I am proud to describe. Someone said, what's your real job? I'm a salesman. I'm selling to you right now. I'm selling my ideas. And, and that's what we do. Um, but for the greater good, to me, selling isn't spamming people or ripping people off. Selling in its healthy sense is informing, advising, consulting, uh, creating great outcomes, making things happen, negotiating, counseling. That's what selling really is. Um, and um, really, that's what I think people in talent acquisition and recruitment spend a lot of their time doing. They're just not that good at it. <laughs> Sadly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the selling piece, you know, you've got to be, if you're authentic and you are as good as, you know, who you, you know, what you say you are and you can find the best people, you do give a good service and you take pride in your service, then why wouldn't you be proud to sell? Hundred percent. I mean, um, you know, just going back to my recruitment days, it took me a long time because I was a, I was a, I was green at the beginning. But in time, I used to love being, you know, going and seeing a client who or a prospect who was skeptical and cold and disinterested and said, "I've got no jobs." And an hour later, you were laughing and he'd given you three jobs, and it was the start of a journey. And you know, I say it now, but uh, but that was because of the ability to sell um, or a candidate. Says, I don't want to go to that interview. I've never heard of ABC Limited. But you say, now, hold on. Before you write them off, I know a lot about them. I've placed people there before, and this is what's going on. And they go to the interview, and they love it, and they get the job. You made that happen because you sold it to her. That's something to be proud of. It's only when you abuse your ability to sell that it becomes dirty, and we should never do that. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Um, so I'm, I'm conscious of your time and I want us to talk about the academy. I want to talk about a new book. I want to talk about what you're going to be doing yeah. in London. So if it's okay of you, because we've touched on some of these already, we've touched of course, a bit on the ludicrous recruitment seesaw. Yeah. Um, let's go, let's skip to number eight, qualify and prioritize your job order. So important to me. And I know it's important to you. Talk me through that. So um, this is, again, is a, is, is, is a sophisticated, nuanced influencing skill. You know, there are plenty of recruiters today across the world. In your country, there'll be thousands who will take a job order today for that, that is a job description attached to an email. They will get that and they'll have one line on it. Hey, Paul, can you help me fill this job? And then that recruiter will go and try and fill that job. Yeah. And that is just a tragedy. Everyone will lose. Because why would you do that? You don't really know. You need to have a conversation with that client, preferably face-to-face. If it's a big order with a new client, but it doesn't have to be, VC or telephone, but a conversation because that job order, I promise you two things about that job order. The person who fills that job, who takes that job, will not have everything that that job order requested. Secondly, I promise you that with a qualified job order, that job order will change its requirements because many, many times... All that's happened is that the hiring manager has just dragged out last year or five years ago's job description and sent it out. So you've got to ask all the questions. What are the, I mean, most job orders say the successful candidate will have, and there's 20 things. Do you really, have you ever placed anyone with all 20 things? No, there's three things that are deal breakers. There's four things maybe that are deal breakers, priorities. So you've got to ask that question. You've got to have a fulsome conversation. Does it really need a double degree in Mongolian throat singing to fill this? accounts clerk job. It probably doesn't. So let's maybe not have the requirement for a degree because that opens up the field. Do they really have to work five days a week in the office? Mr. Client, that's going to disadvantage you, blah, blah, blah. Okay, and make it three days. Right, that opens up the field. 
Is your top salary really £40,000? Absolutely. But have I found the perfect candidate who wanted forty-two? Well, I might consider it. Well, now it's forty-two. Now, this is just a very short um, uh, example of how you would qualify a job. And, and it's, it's being consultative. You know, it's like, it's like if you went to the doctor and you said to the doctor, I've got this terrible pain in my stomach. And she said, aha, we're going to operate this afternoon. That's all she said. Would you go with that? No, you wouldn't because she hasn't, she hasn't, she hasn't diagnosed you. And that's what a qualified job order is. You're diagnosing the real job, which could be different to what's written on the paper, and the real skills needed for that job, which could be different to what's written on the paper. Exactly as the doctor has to diagnose you, what happened, what does it feel like, run this test, and then she can work out what the solution is. You go to a lawyer. You don't allow the lawyer to say, oh, you want the contract? Here, here's one in my pocket. Take that. You expect them to diagnose you with questions. That is the job of a recruiter. Hundred percent, and again, uh, for TA, so important as well this prioritisation piece. Because, firstly, you know, if you've got twenty to thirty roles landing on your desk, you can only do so many things at a time. So you need to work out what, what, which, where the need is the most vital, and which hiring managers are the most bought in. And the most important question I always ask hiring managers, and I think we might have spoken about this before, is something along the lines of what is the impact of not having uh, this person having on your business? Because from that you will then understand exactly how important it is they actually need to hire somebody. And I think as well that the hiring managers who are can be a little bit more chilled out about whether they bring someone in or not, not only are you going to waste your time, you're going to, you're going to engage with lots of candidates um, who aren't going to end up having a good experience through the process because that need isn't really, really there. So again, really, really important 100%. point on both sides. 100%. So on the agency side, there are three questions that you know, I would say are sacred in the job, you know, in the job qualification. There's 100 questions, but there's three. First one is... How long has the job been open? I mean, why any agency recruiter, if I've got agency recruiters listening, why you would do one minute's work on a job order unless you'd ask how long has this job been open and a sister question, which is, and what have you done so far to fill it? Well, what if the answer is it's been open six months? Then there's a million questions that come out of that because if a job has been open six months, there is something wrong. Why would you start working on it? They're not serious about recruiting? They've got an awful employer brand. The salary's too low. There is something wrong. And then you need to have a conversation. Is there something wrong? Why haven't you filled it? And what have you done so far? Like, I mean, I, 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 stop, I, walk, I, I spend all my life in recruitment companies, right? Even now, every day. And I say to a recruiter, so you've taken this job. How long has the job been open? And they say, I'm not sure. And then I say, what has the client done so far? I, I'm not sure. But that's so incredibly dangerous because what have they done so far? They've given it to six agencies. They've got their internal talent team working on it and they've run out on six job boards. That is not a job you should be working on. Mm. Why would you? When you've got another job over here where the clients, if you'd ask the question, says, what have I done so far? My financial controller resigned last night and I called you because I'm desperate. Well, those are beautiful words for an agency to hear because you know there's some, there's some pain in the situation and you can control it. So... Uh, <laughs> And the final question, you know, what have you done, how long has your job been open? What have you done so far? The final question is this. It's a little bit more funky. If I found the perfect candidate, this is after you've taken the bread, Mr. Klein, and I presented their resume this afternoon, could we get an offer by tomorrow morning? That is a brilliant question. You're not, you're not expecting the client to say, yeah. But if the client says, oh, no, this is what I've heard in answer to that question. Oh, no, Greg, couldn't do that. I haven't got sign-off from the CEO on hiring you. Well, that's very fucking interesting. Bye-bye. Yeah. You know, or, or another answer sometimes is, well, yeah, no. No, because I'm interviewing the three internal candidates on Monday. But you're not going to have that volunteered to you unless you ask the questions. And that's being a sophisticated job order taker and a real recruiter, a consultative recruiter, not a transactional resume spamming hack. Absolutely. Absolutely love it. Right. So there are four more points which we've not got to. So I'm going to put both of our newsletters in the notes of this podcast so people can catch up on them that's what i suggest and there's some really valuable ones in there so don't skip those greg uh let's talk about the new book tell me about it Who, who's it for who should get it yeah so the savage truth which you've read is really somewhat autobiographical and also tells the story of the three or four building um, sorry companies i've been involved in building and the lessons i learned in the recessions and really it's about leadership and management and recruiting but the next book is simply on you know, I'm 65. I'm not going to be um, talking to guys on podcasts like this much longer. I don't do training anymore. 
you know, other things I'm going to focus on. And so it occurred to me, you know, I've run a million training courses. I, I've managed to thousands of recruiters. I've learned a lot. I've been a good recruiter, not, not the greatest, but I was pretty good. You would have hired me, I imagine. Um, but I knew a lot better. And so I've written a book on how to be the world's greatest recruiter. It's 128 chapters. It covers the attitude and mindset of a good recruiter. It covers the behaviors of a recruiter. It covers selling skills. It covers client side skills, candid, like taking a job order, candidate skills, and then how to manage your career. Um, and um, it is for, I think it would be a wonderful tool for somebody in their first year of recruitment. I think it would be, I hope it's going to be indispensable for those people. But even if you've got a lot more experience, I think it would be a lovely checklist and there'll be some gems in there that you hadn't thought of. But mostly for those people, be like, yeah, I knew that. Why don't I do it anymore? And you go back mm-hmm. to that. So, uh, yeah, it's called Recruit the Savage Way. And um, it's written, uh, it's actually the publisher has it and they, they're editing it and coming back to me and say, did you really mean that? I'll say, yes. And then, and then they say, well, there's no, there's no full stop at the end of the sentence. I'll say, okay, you can put that in. <laughs> so that's what's happening now. Uh, and so it'll be launched in May. And uh, actually, I'm going to do a speaking tour around the UK with my very good friends at the REC. Uh, and I think I'm going to six cities in the in the UK. So I'll get around. And um, if you come to the, my, my talk, which will be marginally entertaining, you'll also get the book. So look out for that. How can people sign up to, to that, Greg? Um, look, you're going to, I think two things. Uh, sign up to my, my blog, the Savage Truth. .com.au. No, no, it's called gregsavage.com.au is the address. It's called this. If you, if, if you subscribe to my blog, you will get informed of that. But also keep an eye on the uh, on the REC um, events page. But that's only in September because obviously I've timed it so that I can go to the Rugby World Cup in France straight after that, obviously. So that's why. Absolutely. Priorities, priorities. And then finally, yeah, exactly. before I let you go, uh, the Academy. Tell me about the Academy. Yeah, look, I'm very, I'm very excited about this. About 18 months ago, I, I, I thought again, you know, a lot of people, people ask me my advice and uh, uh, 30 or 40 podcasts a year and blah, blah, blah. I run a lot of training courses. So, so why don't I have some sort of library of, of this? And, you know, to be perfectly honest with you, my initial idea was chuck it up on a library on, online and let everyone just have it. And then the guy who did that for me, because I don't have the technical ability, he said, Greg, you really should have a subscription for this. So we do. It's very modest. Um, we've got over 500 companies signed up to this. Thousands of recruiters view it. Uh, there's 180 videos covering the rookie program, experienced recruiter programs, so the sort of stuff we spoke about today. Billing managers and owners and directors. There's marketing. There's a whole lot of stuff. We add new content all the time. And... Um, I'm getting some fantastic feedback. It is 90% me. So that will turn a lot of people off, but you've got to tell the truth. It's 90% me, but I am adding other, other very good speakers, not trainers, but mostly owners of recruitment companies who are good at getting their message across. So I'm adding other people to just unsavage it a bit, but it is, you know, frankly, it's mostly me. And every quarter I do an update on a new topic, like, like this sort of material we spoke about today will be up there in much more detail. Um, and um, it's called the Savage Recruitment Academy. So easy to find. Very modest price, quarterly. It's a subscription, but you can get, you know, you subscribe quarterly. There's no lock-in contracts. If you, if you don't want to continue after one quarter, you don't have to. Um, so it's, um, I encourage people. You know, I, I, the last thing I'd say on it, though, Paul, is I wouldn't say to an owner, buy the Savage Recruitment Academy and just sit your people in front of it. That is the... That'll be better than nothing, but it's the lowest value. You should use it as a sparking point for group discussion, interaction, role play, debate. Um, use it as a tool for real coaching. Don't just sit people in front of it like they're watching Netflix. That's not the best way to use it. Gotcha. Greg, thank you so much for today. Um, it's been, I just really enjoyed this conversation. For me, I'm starting my day. Uh, obviously, you're ending your day. I'm starting my day with this conversation, and it set me up in such a great way. So thank you so much for being a part of Talent and Growth. Yeah, look, I really appreciate you inviting me on your, on your podcast. Uh, you, we've done it before, so um, it was a lot of fun. By the way, we'll be in London in May. I'm oh, sorry, March, uh, for the Recruitment Expo. So the Recruitment Expo is a big, a big event in London. I think it's, you'll have to check this, but the 15th and 16th of March. Uh, it's free. There's dozens of industry speakers. I'm just one. 
and there's a lot of industry suppliers. And I've, I've never been, but I've been invited to go over there and I checked my West Ham United fixture list and it's suited, so I'm going. You know, you've got to get your priorities right, as you quite rightly said. Thank you so much, Greg. Greg, have a fantastic evening and uh, thanks again for being a part of TNG. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks, mate.